Um, Australia is a very big place. It's uh, <laughs> certainly yes. It's hard to see on a map because of the way you know yeah. the geography stretches on on most maps. But yeah. but yeah, it's 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 huge. Yeah, well, it's the sixth largest country in the world, and then the seventh is India, and we're twice the size of India. So yeah, Australia is twice the size of India geographically. Man, yeah. I need to look at more maps. <laughs> but uh, no, Australia is over six million square kilometers, and. Mm. Um, so, you know, the United The population similar to Taiwan? Yeah, 26 million, yeah. It's got a lot more space. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Kevin McGee, who previously served as the Australian representative in Taipei, basically the Australian ambassador, but with a different name because politics are, you know, complicated. Mr. McGee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Trevor. It's a great pleasure. Please call me Kevin. Okay, so let's talk about Taiwan first. How long did you serve as the Australian representative in Taipei? Well, I was here uh, from 2011 to 2014. But it wasn't my first time in Taiwan. Uh, I came here as a Australian government language student before my first posting, which was in Beijing. And I spent the whole from January to December 1989, here in Taiwan. Uh, in addition to that, back in Canberra, I did visit Taiwan several times because I ran the area in Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade for a while, which looked after relations with Taiwan. So I've had quite a few visits here over the years. Yeah, and, and spaced out on either side of many other experiences around Asia. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was in foreign affairs in Australia for 34 years. And uh, during that time, I uh, was posted in uh, Beijing and in Singapore. I was also consul general in Guangzhou. Mm. And outside of East Asia, I was an ambassador in Saudi Arabia. And uh, I was deputy head of mission and charge d'affaires in Moscow in the Russian Federation. Gives well, you a really unique uh, and insider perspective on a lot of really relevant governments. Well, yeah, they're now. all, I mean, if you think about countries that really have clout in the world, you think of Russia, you think of China, you think of even Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia yeah, yeah. It is a very wealthy, powerful Islamic country. Um, so, yes, I've been very honored to have been able to work there. I also had a short stint when I was a young diplomat at the United Nations, three months in Geneva and three months in New York back in 1992. So that's quite a while ago. So this is uh, obviously a very eclectic resume, but uh, to focus on Taiwan really quick. Yeah, um, sure. You, see you were here in 89, but then you were also here in... 2011, uh, 2011 to 2014. And so how did you see Taiwan change over that period of time? Um, well, firstly, let me talk about from an economic perspective. Uh, Taiwan certainly graduated from... Um, what you would say as a, a relatively advanced developing country in 1989. But by the time I came back in 2011, you know, Taiwan had moved into, uh, shall we say, the rich countries club, uh, certainly the development of technology. I remember what the trains looked like in 1989 compared to what the trains look like yeah. now. So in those, those 20 years, the economic development was phenomenal. And of course, the political development was even more outstanding. I mean, certainly by 89, martial law had been lifted several years before, and Lee Dong-hui as president was moving Taiwan on a democratic path. But certainly during the 90s, uh, it certainly has moved into the uh, field as a democratic country. And thirdly, I'd also say the consciousness of people here. Most people I found in 1989 who I spoke to, even if if they were Taiwan extraction, would identify themselves as Chinese. And mm. uh, now most people you talk to, they say they're Taiwanese people, yeah, yeah. and distinguish themselves from Chinese um, on the other side of the straits. Uh, you mentioned that you were the Australian ambassador to Saudi Arabia. That's correct, uh, yeah. So how were your responsibilities as an ambassador 
different from your responsibilities as a representative in Taipei? Well, I mean, in many ways, I was doing the same job. The fact is that most countries in the world follow one form or other of the one China policy, which Australia does too since 1972. And so do the United States and most Western countries also, which means that the formalities of diplomacy are different because as a representative, you're not actually fully accredited as you were as an ambassador to the head of state. But what on the ground we actually did in, from the point of view of promoting Australia's national interests in trade and economics, people to people, cultural, and also talking on uh, about political issues was very, very similar. Of course, as countries, Saudi Arabia is a very different country from right. Taiwan, of course, but there are certain things in diplomacy and uh, in international relations apply to all countries. Taiwan is an unusual country because of uh, the one China policy and because its political and its uh, international space are restricted because of the, the historical contest with the PRC and the fact that if you are going to establish diplomatic relations with the PRC, there are certain limits of what you can do officially with Taiwan. But I, I found that here we are good friends with Australia and Taiwan and still remain so. Um, Taiwan has been a top 10 trading partner and export market for Australia for at least than, since the 1990s. Uh, and so uh, even last year with the increase of sales of LNG, mm -hmm. liquefied natural gas, Tianranqi to Taiwan. It actually last year moved up to fourth, and that's the highest it's ever wow. been in export markets for Australia. I was Academia Sinica this morning, having a talk at a roundtable there, and they were basically explaining that Taiwan used to take up to 20% of its liquefied natural gas from Russia, and as part of the sanctions after the invasion of Ukraine, uh, they didn't take any more cargoes, and they've now increased the amount of Tianranqi or LNG that they're bringing from Australia, and this has bumped the export markets up, and uh, there are a lot of Australian products and such here too and agricultural products as well as natural resources we sell iron ore uh, you know we LNG and uh, we're a major supplier of coal to Taipa like most countries Taiwan is trying to reduce its carbon right. footprint so it's reducing the amount of coal but still coal power slow process yeah yeah because so yeah, coal power is still important LNG is in increasing and of course the renewables too wind power yeah wind power mm -hmm. yeah so wind powers I, I flew in from Hong Kong yesterday morning and a beautiful sun day and I could see all the big windmills That's awesome. along the coast, yeah. yeah, as you come towards the airport at Taoyuan. So uh, you've worked this closely with Taiwan, uh, mm. and you've also worked in the Chinese cities of Beijing and Guangzhou and in Russia. Do you feel like you have to be more careful in countries like Russia and China rather than in Taiwan? Yes, you, you always need to, to be careful. I mean, uh, let me say, when I was in Beijing, uh, it was my first posting. I was very relatively junior. I was the most junior political officer in the embassy. So I really wasn't a decision maker. But our relations were relatively good uh, with uh, the PRC at that time, though it was after Tiananmen. So there was certain freezes on uh, activities. Um, but later on, I was in Guangzhou. And I was the first time I was a head of mission, I was a consul general in Guangzhou. And the Chinese control your access, a lot of it depending on how good your relations are. Back in my time, the relationship was pretty good. But to answer your question, yes, you do need to be more careful. The Chinese are very sensitive about things and what you say. On the other hand, the Russians are a lot less sensitive. Um, okay. Russians are very robust people, and we can see what they've done in their invasion of Ukraine and certainly response to the rest of the world. Yeah, Right. Yeah. Certainly things are more sensitive now, uh, no matter yeah. who you are. But it's an interesting uh, it's comparison interesting, to think yeah. about. Uh, well, Russia, the, 
because the economic relationship is not as close and it's a long way from Australia. But uh, yes, you do, you do need to, to follow a diplomatic protocol with the Russians, but they don't take umbrage as much as if you say the wrong thing the way the Chinese tend to do and talk about, you know, uh, upsetting the, the feelings of the Chinese people, as they like to say. After all of this work you've done in all these different countries, what is uh, the most difficult aspect of diplomacy in general for you? Well, I mean, the most difficult. I mean, you, when when you're a, a diplomat, I mean, every day seems to be diff- different. Um, some days are just involved in doing management or dealing with Australians who want passports or issues like that. Other times you're dealing with promotion of trade and education and various things. But sometimes crises occur, and sometimes you can find yourself thrown into a deep crisis. Do one, one come to mind? Well, the one I came to mind in 2000, October 2002, I was the deputy head of mission in Moscow, and the ambassador was back in Australia, and uh, the Chechens terrorists seized the theater. You remember that? And they took 800 hostages, including two Australians. And uh, so I was... In charge there, I was uh, involved in liaising with the the Russians, Um, but also we got to such a stage that we were involved in negotiations. They were passing their demands on. So I actually was listening to the Chechen terrorists making their demands and then Australian citizen who spoke Russian translating it into English and then reported me on the phone in the middle of the night. So I was talking back and forth with the actual gunmen who were holding our our citizens. But in the end, they used military force, put in Mm. Even then was not the man to right. trifle with. So that was absolutely chilling. I mean, you're actually talking to. Yeah, it's I terrifying. Mean, terrorism in itself is something that we all know about. But actually to be talking actually to a terrorist and talking through someone who's got a gun literally to their head. That's the remarkable sort of things. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that's definitely they, one of the more terrifying things that can happen as, a, as an ambassador. But yeah. um, but uh, hopefully nothing else was that. No, that's nothing to that level. While we're talking about Russia, you know, I, I had the opportunity to meet Mikhail Gorbachev twice, uh, one on, once one-on-one and once with a former prime minister. And he was an amazing man to talk to when you think about it. Uh, Gorbachev, you know, was a man who changed the world. Mm. He was one of the great figures of the 20th 20th century. Obviously, when I was ambassador in Saudi Arabia, I had quite a few audiences with mm-hmm. the King Abdullah and the Crown Prince and various people where we talked about that. I mean, we concluded, for example, an anti-terrorism uh, agreement between Australia and Saudi Arabia. And in uh, 2012, uh, Kevin Rudd, who was our that time foreign minister, he came through Bahrain and uh, to uh, an international conference there. And as ambassador, he was we were sitting in the back of the car. But we got caught in a traffic jam because basically the royals, the Bahraini and the Saudi royals, they got priority to come out. And we were just talking about Taiwan. And he was saying that every year from 90, he told me from 1980 to 90 to 2006, he used to visit Taiwan every year. He studied at Shodha in 1980. He was a student at ANU, Australian National University. But he went and went to Taiwan and he had a wonderful experience there studying Mandarin at, at Shodha. Lived down in Puchangjie. He, so Kevin Rudd did a degree in arts, majoring in Chinese language and culture. I had no idea. And, and is he conversational? Oh, he's Mandarin? fluent in Mandarin, yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah, fluent in Mandarin, yeah. One of the things he did was create this center, China in the World Center. And they brought me in because I'm foreign policy expert. So the areas I'm doing research on are Australia-China relations, Australia-Taiwan relations, Russia-China relations, Saudi Arabia-China. And that's why I left the Foreign Service. 
Wow, that's quite a story. And one of the reasons I'm here at the moment is I've been commissioned by the university and also the University of Technology of Sydney to do two reports on Taiwan and Australia relations and cross straight in the lead up to the presidential election mm. in 2024. So I started this morning uh, with a roundtable at Academia Sinica with a whole range of political people. And I'm meeting think tanks and I'm meeting, I'm also meeting Foreign Minister Wu Jiaoshe mm. uh, and also representative of the KMT later this week. So um, that's why awesome. I'm, I'm here at the moment, as well as you, here to see my daughter. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, I, the background here is that uh, Mr. McGee, uh, Kevin, is the father of our ICRT DJ, Caitlin, um, who just had her show earlier and her dad on the show. And now this is his second interview in almost as many hours. That's about right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's good practice. Um, so. On the topic of, you mentioned talks on technology between mm. Taiwan and Australia. Well, the techno, I mean, uh, Taiwan is a technological powerhouse. Mm. Uh, I mean, when it comes to computer chips, I mean, it's number one in the world. So it's a very, very important country in that, in, in that field economically. And so um, certainly uh, we use Taiwanese technology. We work very closely with Taiwan on that area. Um, in many ways, you know, we're sort of what you call, you know, Jingji Hubushing. Mm. Yeah? Taiwan is a producer of high-level technology. Now, we have uh, vast, high-quality natural resources and education services and such. And so the relationship is often balanced in in that way. So as I was mentioning before, I mean, we're major suppliers of liquefied natural gas, coal, iron ore, agricultural produce, and education services. So quite a few Taiwanese have studied in Australia and continue to do at our universities. Quite a few yeah. uh, Taiwanese, I mean, just, this is just anecdotally, but I know so many Taiwanese people who have gone and done their, their working holiday in Australia. Absolutely. And, and have experiences, personal experiences in Australia. Um, I'm curious, I don't see that many Australians in, in, in Taiwan. Maybe I'm just missing them. And no, maybe... I, I, to be honest, there is a disproportionate number of Taiwanese go to Australia mm. than the other way around. We've, we've had a working holiday agreement with Taiwan for many years now coming up to nearly more than 15 years. And there's always been a lot more Taiwanese visiting Australia than there is. Uh, part of the reasons why is many Taiwanese young people speak you know, passable or, or very good English and they can go to Australia. There are not that many Australians who speak passable or good Mandarin. What we do have is we do have right back from the 70s, right, there's always been a lot of Australians who've come here to study advanced Mandarin uh, because the quality of the Mandarin education here um, certainly in in previous generations was higher than in the PRC. I mean, we always kept an eye on our citizens. Well, I shouldn't say that keep an eye on our citizens. <laughs> don't sound like we're, you know, the, the secret police, but we always need to have awareness of in case there's, you know, an earthquake or some a typhoon or some disaster. We have to help people here. But you're yeah, right, there was a disproportionate number of people studying Chinese Mandarin and some people studying Chinese culture and various things. The, and many people from the PRC would admit this, that there was immense damage done to uh, Chinese traditional culture during the Cultural Revolution in China and it's taken a long time for them to recover, you know, from the point of view of linguistic and history and such. Uh, so Taiwan has always been a place because there's been a continuity here. Do you see Australia um, encouraging more Australians to try and come to Taiwan in the near future or are things still a bit sensitive, do you think? Well, it's not in the sense of, I mean, a lot of Australians have always been able to come to Taiwan and, um, I mean, the sensitivity is with the PRC uh, with regard to economic sanctions, political differences and such. But China is the world's second largest economy. It's got 1.4 billion
billion people. Uh, Taiwan's economy is always going to be smaller, and mm. the attraction, if you want to make business and do business, is always going to be bigger on the mainland, e even in times when there's some sort of economic tensions. And despite all the tensions that have gone on between Australia and China, trade continues to be very, very strong both ways. So the economic imperative is still there. Um, on the people-to-people -people level, well, maybe it's different. But I would always encourage people. People ever ask me, I encourage them to come to Taiwan if they want to learn Chinese and want to learn something about Chinese culture, Chinese language. People are very welcoming here. It's a very, very nice society and to live in. There are other, many, many other experiences you can have by, uh, you know, um, working or studying on the mainland. But if you really want to get good Chinese, this is the place to come. What do you think is most unique about Australia's position Sorry. with regard to Taiwan? just uh, Taiwan and, and China relations? Uh, well, I mean, our, our policy is based on the 1972 Joint Declaration where we recognize Beijing. We acknowledge the Chinese position that Taiwan was part of China, and that's for the basis of one China policy. And it's mm -hmm. basically the same as what the United States did in 1979. But you acknowledge it means different from actually agreeing with it. But the point is that if you do establish relations with, with the PRC, there are certain parameters if you want to maintain them. Our relationship with Taiwan is always going to be unofficial, like I was you know, saying before when I was representative. For example, you can't call yourself ambassador. Mm. Foreign minister can't visit uh, our governor general, which is uh, representing the monarchy. And our prime minister can't visit defense ministers. So there's the limits that, that. But it's still a very substantial relationship. And I think I mentioned uh, yeah, that um, last year we got up to energy. number four. It was our fourth largest export market last mm. year. And Taiwan has consistently been since the 1990s in our top 10 export markets. Uh, so it's a very important economic partner. And uh, as you said, a lot of Taiwanese visit Australia, young come to study, come to do working holidays and travel travel around. Uh, Australia is a very big place. It's, uh, it certainly is. It's, it's, it's a continent. You know, uh, it's almost exactly the same size as what the Americans call the lower 48. So if you took, yeah. a, took Alaska out, the, it's almost exactly the same size hard, as Australia. It's hard to see on a map because of the way you know yeah. the geography stretches on on most maps. But yeah. but yeah, it's 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 huge. Yeah, well, it's the sixth largest country in the world. Uh, there's mm. um, uh, and then the seventh is India, and we're twice the size of India. So yes. Australia is twice the size of India geographically. Man, yeah. I need to look at more maps. <laughs> the southern bits of Russia are about the right size, but the northern bits are expanded because you flatten out the globe. But uh, no, Australia is over six million square kilometers. So, uh, mm. And um, so, you know, the United population similar to Taiwan. Yeah, 26 million. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot more space. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of space, but there's a lot of desert in Australia, uh, as yeah. you probably know. And uh, finally, um, I guess just to, to finish off, is there anything else you'd like to say to the people of Taiwan? To be honest, I think MOFA is doing a much better job in recent decades than they used to do. Basically, in recent times, they've actually now been a lot more effective in putting out and explaining where Taiwan is and what it does from the point of view of art and culture, from mm. the point of view of lifestyle, from the point of view of technology. There's a lot to be said for. And I've been very impressed in recent years working with foreign affairs and now work at the ANU, the National University. Um, MOFA has been very active active in sponsoring seminars about Taiwan, artists, cultural exhibitions from Taiwan into Australia. And they're doing that with other countries. So there's a lot to be said and done about that. And also, um, I think Taiwan needs to talk about, you know, TSMC is one of the world's great companies. It needs, it's kind of mind-blowing that that powerhouse is... Oh, it's a powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, as Saudi Arabia is to oil, Taiwan is to chips. 
uh, you know, Saudi Aramco is the biggest oil company in the world. TSMC is the most important chip company in the world. So it's a little bit like that, you know. And that's one of the analogies I often use in my one of my speeches. But it's doing a much better job because it is now explaining to people what Taiwan is and what it can offer to the world. And it certainly can. Now, it's always going to have the political problems because of the one China policy that all these countries have. That's just the reality. And that's something that came out of the 70s and of the competition from 49 up to 71, you know, where Taiwan or the Republic of China sat in the United Nations as the legitimate representative of all China. And of course, when that was flipped on the 25th of October, 1971. So unfortunately, Taiwan is, for historic reasons, you know, stuck with this, this issue. But there's so much that can be said on technology, culture, arts and such that you could be. As for, as for the, the Taiwanese people, we'll reach out to the world, you know. You have a lot to be very proud of. There's a lot that you deal with. You have, I just mentioned the problems you have, the diplomatic political problems you have as a country, but you have so much to offer and you reach out to the world, expand as best you can to the world. Um, we all hope for peace in the Taiwan Straits. We all hope, hope that things can continue to develop in a way that satisfies Taiwan, and uh, but also in a way that doesn't provoke armed conflict. Armed conflict would be an absolute disaster for all of us. Yeah, nobody wants that. No one wants it, and we have seen what's happening in Ukraine, and see what a disaster that has been. But uh, you know, I'm I'm reasonably confident that the government, no matter which party's in power in Taiwan, will be able to continue to manage the relationship. And I also think that a lot of what Beijing does with Taiwan is political theater. There is a way to go before well, that direct military action. It's uh, it's tough to move against that kind of leverage that China has. But um, something that, like you were saying, there's so much that Taiwan has to offer the world, um, including in the age of modern technology, internet, social media, mm-hmm. um, the kind of soft power that Taiwan yeah. can influence the world with. It's not as powerful sometimes as CSMC, um, but it's something that matters. And I, I think Taiwan creatives can get out there too and uh, <laughs> explore a, a working holiday in Australia. Okay. This has been Kevin McGee speaking to us as the former Australian representative in Taipei and policy fellow at Australian National University's China in the World Center. Thank you very much, uh, Trevor. And uh, thanks to you, the listener. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can listen to full-length episodes of Taiwan Talk wherever you normally find podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, tell a friend. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.